Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. Good morning. My name is Richard Gibbons, and I do live in Greenville in South Carolina, and I'm a member of the pastoral staff at First Presbyterian, but I am not from Greenville originally. (laughs) And Luke was exaggerating a little to say I'm a good old southern boy. Uh, I come from Inverness in Scotland, and we have lived in the United States since 2007. And if you are visiting Carmel this morning or hearing me for the first time, you may be currently having an experience where you're picking up every third word and thinking, I can't understand him. Uh, But bear with me, over the next two or three minutes, you'll begin to pick up every word. So let me apologize at this end. Uh, We are, my wife Ruth is with me this morning. We have one son, Michael, who turns 30 in a couple of weeks. And I last preached here in Carmel Prez back in 2002. And so this is not a new congregation for me in that sense. And we had a delightful visit back then and are thrilled to be with you today, especially to come after having a great week on the houseboat. So well done to you. I'm hearing great things. So we're excited and delighted to be with you this morning. If you have your Bible, would you turn with me please to Philippians chapter 3 today. Philippians chapter 3, and you'll find it on page 981 of the Church Bible. Philippians chapter 3, page 981. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, and he's writing a long, long time ago, around the year AD 60. And one of the interesting dynamics is this, that Paul has been arrested for his faith and he's been put in prison. And he's writing to the church at Philippi in ancient Greece. He knows them well, and he's writing to equip them to live out their faith day by day. And he's also seeking to encourage them. And throughout the epistle, he says again and again, let me encourage you to rejoice in your relationship with Christ. And that's one of the major themes of the epistle. And so we come into Philippians chapter 3 at verse 1. And he writes, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is no trouble to me, and it is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything a loss 
because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this, or am made perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider myself that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting that which lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. And we trust that God will bless to us this reading from his holy word. Because I come from Scotland, people will ask me fairly regularly, what is different about life in the United States compared to Scotland? And I sometimes say about 70% is similar and about 30% is different. And the 30% that's different is usually a lot of fun. And the fun comes from things usually conversations. And sometimes I will wear a kilt, and sometimes people will think me very Scottish, and my family in Scotland think I have become very American. So it is all in your perspective. And last year, a young dad, and it happened to be on Easter Monday, wrote me the following email. Now, you'll see this come up on screen, and let me read it to you. And he wrote, Pastor, Tonight, as I put my five-year-old son in bed, he asked specifically if we could pray for the preacher. I asked, which preacher? To which he replied, the very old one from Switzerland who wears a skirt sometimes. <laughs> I like his preaching, and I hope he doesn't die. <clears throat> After I composed myself, he led us in a very heartfelt plea for your physical and spiritual well-being. I have to imagine that it warmed God's heart. It certainly warmed my heart. And when anyone who's five-year-old prays for you, that is a great compliment. Now, most of you know if you have children or grandchildren or little brothers and sisters, and when you have wee ones around your feet, it is always such a thrill to interact and chat with them and play games with them and get to know them. And one of the things I really liked about our service this morning was the children coming forward and having the opportunity to pray for them. But if you have a 10-year-old in your family and that 10-year-old behaves like a 5-year-old, in your mind, you would begin to say, wait a minute, there's something wrong. And if a six-year-old behaved like a two-year-old, you would say, 
okay, there's something not right in the next developmental stage. Emotionally, psychologically, physically, you'd be concerned. And so this morning, as we come to Philippians chapter 3, and we begin to unpack the passage that lies before us, my question to you is this. Are you growing in your faith? Are you maturing and developing? Are you at the stage where God would put his arm around your shoulder and say, I am so proud of the man or woman you have become. I am thrilled to watch you grow and develop in your faith. Our times of prayer together are such a joy for me. I am thrilled and delighted by who you are and who you are becoming. If I sat down with you sometime this week and we had lunch together, and I would begin to say to you, now tell me a little about yourself. Do you live in the Carmel Valley? Are you over in Monterey? Are you in Carmel by the sea? Where do you go to school? Tell me a little about your brothers and sisters. Tell me about your children, your grandchildren. And eventually I would get to the point in the conversation where I would ask you this, are you growing in your relationship with Christ? How would you answer? What would you say? Would you look a little embarrassed and say, well, Richard, 18 months ago, I wish you'd asked me then because I was close to the Lord then. I was growing. My times of prayer were phenomenal. It was almost as if I could feel the presence of God, his hand on my life, leading, guiding, directing. Moments of prayer were profoundly intimate. And you may say, actually, at the moment, I'm kind of struggling. And the Lord seems far away, and I have major decisions in my life. I'm in these early teenage years thinking about college in the years to come, and what will I do for a living? And those are big questions. Those are significant decisions. Maybe you're saying, Richard, there's a couple, we've been wanting a family, but we're just not sure, is the time right? Are we mature enough to handle a child? Or you may be here saying, Richard, I'm praying for my children and my grandchildren. I have adult children, and I want them to walk with the Lord, and I want to know Him, but I'm just not sure where I'm going. And if that in any way describes you this morning, Let's look at Philippians chapter 3, because here in Philippians chapter 3, the apostle Paul is almost as if he's sitting down and having lunch with you, and you're getting to know him and asking about his background, and what does he say? Let's jump to verse 4. And he's talking about putting confidence in the flesh. And that's Paul's way of saying, let me tell you a little about my background, where I grew up. Let me tell you about my folks and my experience with God. And he's writing there and he says, if anyone else thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, in other words, what he's saying is this, if you think you have confidence enough in your own background in going to church and participating in youth group or coming to the contemporary service, he is saying, I have more. Look what he's saying. 
He says, I have been circumcised on the eighth day, even as a wee boy, eight days old. He then goes on, I was born into the tribe of Benjamin. The priests came from the tribe of Benjamin. They were considered the elite. And he then goes on, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, what does he mean by that? He means in living out my faith day by day, I was perfect. In regard to the law, Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church. Do you understand what he's saying? The apostle Paul today would be considered a domestic terrorist. He would arrest people. He would beat them up. He'd put them in prison for believing what we believe. Paul is saying, I was enthusiastic about my religious upbringing. I went to the synagogue every Saturday morning. My parents, when they put me in bed at night, would tell me stories of Abraham and Jacob and Isaac and Moses. I grew up memorizing passages of the Old Testament, like the Psalms. I knew them off by heart. When I would stand on the beach and look up at the sky, Psalm 19 came to mind. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hand. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they proclaim his knowledge. He knew his Bible. That's what Paul is saying. But in writing to this church at Philippi and encouraging them, he knew them well. He'd founded and established the church. He's saying to them this, I want you to understand this, that a religious upbringing, church attendance, knowing sections of the Bible is all a good thing, but it's not enough. In fact, he goes on and says, whatever was to my profit, verse 7, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. In fact, further on, he says, I count everything I grew up with as rubbish compared to knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. So let me ask you this. Let me probe a little deeper. In the South, we talk of treading on people's toes when we begin to probe a little deeper. So let me ask you, where are you in your relationship with Christ? If someone's to ask you, are you a Christian? What would you say Would you be able to say, of course, absolutely? Or would you get a little embarrassed and hem and haw and say, well, I go to church? That's not the question. Are you a Christian? Does Christ dwell in your heart? Do you have an overwhelming sense of his love and his goodness and his forgiveness and the transforming power of the Holy Spirit at work in your life? That's the question. That's what's going on here. And the Apostle Paul takes them a step further. And notice what else he says. In fact, in verse 10, having explained his background, having said it was a good background, but it wasn't enough, he goes on to talk about knowing Christ. And in fact, in verse 10, he says a strange thing. 
Something you could never imagine the Apostle Paul saying. Verse 10, he says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering. Just look at the opening words of verse 10. I want to know Christ. Now, isn't that strange? Isn't that odd? Here is a man who wrote 12 or 13 New Testament epistles. He's coming towards the last years of his life. He is the Apostle Paul, the evangelist to the Gentiles, the motivator supreme, the man who had had a greater revelation of the things of God than anyone else in all of history. And he writes, I want to know Christ. What does he mean? Has Paul somehow backslidden, wandered from the things of God? Now, we know these are not the words of some young Christian who's wandered in their faith and is stirred by the Word of God and the Spirit of God and is blurting out, I want to know Christ. That's not what's happening. So what is Paul asking? Let me suggest this. When the Apostle Paul writes, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, he is looking back on his own life, not simply his old life, but since that day on the Damascus road when he met the risen Christ and his life was transformed forever. And he's looking back to then, and since then, almost 30 or 35 years, and he's saying this, there is more in my relationship with Christ than I currently am experiencing, and I want to know him in a deeper, richer, fuller way. That's what he means. Does that begin to describe you this morning? As you prepare to come to worship, did you pull into the parking lot thinking, Father, let this morning be a morning when I turn a corner in my walk with you. May this service be refreshing and renewing. May it energize me. And may I sense your presence and your word speaking to me. Is that what was running through your mind? Sometimes on a Sunday morning when I'm visiting another congregation, it doesn't happen that often, Usually, at some point in the service, the announcements will be given. And the person giving the announcements will finish with, our services will be next Sunday morning at 9.30 and 11 o'clock as usual. As usual? Really? As usual? Did you come this morning into the presence of the Alpha and the Omega, very God of very God, who was and is and is to come, he who is unchangeable in his character and wisdom and justice and love and grace, 
He who went to the cross for your sins, who loved you since before the foundation of the world and orchestrated and engineered your life to draw you to himself. And we are tempted to come as usual. Please. (laughs) What is going on? Here is the apostle Paul. Do you have that same passion, that same longing, that overwhelming desire, I want to know Christ in that fuller, deeper, richer way. Is that your prayer? Is that what you're longing for? I want to know Christ. And then he moves them on and he says, not that I have already obtained all this. He knows there's more to his relationship. He's longing for it. His heart passion is that that would take place in his soul. And then he says, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press What is Paul forgetting? Is he forgetting meeting Christ on the road to Damascus? No. Is he forgetting writing the epistle to the Romans, the greatest theological treatise known to man? Is he forgetting it? No. What is he forgetting? What does he long to forget? He longs to forget his sin. He longs to forget the days when he has betrayed his heavenly father. He longs to forget the days when he no longer trusted him and tried to orchestrate and engineer his own life. That's what he's forgetting. He doesn't want to live back then because he's looking forward. He's excited about the future. He cannot wait to see where God will take him next. And please remember this. He is in a Roman prison cell, about to go on trial for his life. Can you imagine if you were incarcerated today and you were writing to your friends, would you be eager for the future? Would you be looking forward to it? You'd be writing to them asking for all the help that they can give you and all the prayers, and you'd be describing your own situation. Paul does none of that because his focus is on Christ and what is next. He is at peace in his prison cell because God has him in the palm of his hand. The next time you're tempted to say, Father, where are you taking me in my education? Where are you taking me in terms of college? Where are you taking me in my relationship with my friends? Where are you taking me in terms of starting a family? Where are you taking me in my education and career? Where are you leading me? You can trust him. God is sufficient for your every need. Amen? Amen. Let me ask again. (laughs) Is he sufficient for your every need? Amen. He is. You can trust him. Paul could. We can. And we know it from our own experience. And when we are in a tight and difficult situation, it's not that we forget God. We have amnesia. 
over how faithful He has been year after year after year after year, and our focus is on the problem and not God's response in grace. Paul is saying, lift your eyes up. Look up. You can trust Him. Forgetting what is behind, I now press on. Back in the mid-1960s, I saw a clip of it on YouTube not so long ago, a British runner, and I think it was the Tokyo Olympic Games, but I could be wrong, was being interviewed, and they suspected he would come in first, and so they interviewed him and said, what about, uh, what is your plan for running this race? And he said, well, I'm not the quickest starter, but I'm good at finishing. That's where my strength lies, and sure enough, when the gun went off and they went out of the start, off he went a step and a half behind everyone else. But the further the hundred yards went on as he moved forward and forward and forward and forward, he got to the tape delighted, only to discover that the guy next to him got there first. Why? Because he'd looked behind to see where his competitor was. You cannot continue with forward momentum when you're looking backwards. Next Sunday morning, as a congregation, you have the opportunity for a new chapter of ministry and life here in the Monterey Peninsula. You have a new pastor coming. And this week, your job is to spend time in this passage forgetting what is behind, grateful to God for the past, excited over where He has taken you, building on your strengths, but you are moving forward, seeking to be a people whose dreams are greater than your memories. Let me say it again. If you're taking notes, put it down. Becoming a people whose dreams are greater than their memories. Presbyterians love to look back at our history. We love to sit celebrate the past and say, do you remember when Dr. So-and-so was the pastor and we had 300 children at Sunday school uh, events? When you look at the figures and check the records, there were never 300 children in Sunday school, but that's what memory does. And memories are a good thing. In essence, I'm a historian. I know things like George Washington was 42 at the outbreak of the Revolutionary War. How do I know that? Because Thomas Jefferson was 30 when he wrote the Declaration of Independence. 30! My wife wouldn't trust me to go to the store when I was 30. (laughs) We love the past. We rejoice in it. I go to the store today and I now have to photograph a lettuce and send it back as a text and say, honey, will that do? Yes, that will do. (laughs) How do you become a people whose dreams are greater than your memories? Because your heart's passion and greatest desire is I want to know Christ in a fuller, deeper richer way. And may God take his word, seal it to our hearts, and may that portion of scripture be our prayer this week. And I have to confess, 
I cannot wait to hear what God is doing at Carmel Press. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this passage of Scripture this morning. Thank you for all of the excitement it contains and the challenge it brings to us. And so, Father, this morning, may you indeed put your hand of blessing upon each one of us, whether we are 13 or 15 or 18 or 53 and 58. Father, bless us and grant within us an overwhelming passion that we would long to know you in that deeper, fuller, richer way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, visit our website at www.carmelpres.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.